welcome. So glad you're here. It was just so nice to see, and maybe you or some of them, see some of the people gathered down there having some coffee or eating a donut, whether you should or shouldn't be eating a donut. You did for the glory of God. And uh, we're so glad to, to be, have you here this, this morning in uh, the start of, uh, of a new growth hour class that, that I just threw together and wanted to call Thinking Biblically About 2020. Let me tell you a little, little about my, my reasoning for doing this and, and how I want and hope that this class has a slightly different feel than maybe other classes we could have. It's been a hard year. It's been a hard year for a lot of people. And it's been hard in a lot of complex ways. Uh, it, it, it isn't just been a hard year for people in the church. It, it, it's been hard for people outside the church. It hasn't just been hard for old, it's been hard for young. No, ma- no matter wh- where, where you are, who you are, and really almost in any country in the world, this has been a difficult year. And, and the difficulties with this year are that they affect our bodies. Whether it's just the, the issues of sickness and, and health, even if we have yet to you know, have anything to impact us with COVID, etc., just the whole masks affect our bodies, social distancing affects our bodies, relationships have been impacted, like it's been a difficult year. And one thing I worry about, and, and kind of why I was hoping to have this particular class, is that we need to have a space to process a little bit. The church, the church is meant to be a family where, like a family, you can sit around the table and have conversations and talk through hard things. And we're not necessarily always all going to agree on those things, but we sure agree that we love one another. We, we sure are committed to the overall similar goals of loving God, loving neighbor, loving one another, which is Christ commands the church to do and to be. We can agree on those. But what's been hard about this year, it's been even those, even those, some of those serious convictions have caused spread. I know of parents with adult children where they are not speaking to one another. I know of people in church where they are not speaking to one another, or they will not engage with their church, or people won't engage with our church because of this or because of something else. And I get that it's all divided. That's the problem. It's, we're just divided on those things. We just are. And the division has led to some real hurt and suffering. And, and I, just, I just wanted to kind of stop and, and have a space. Like, you, you ever been in one of those situations? Maybe this, is, maybe this is some of the relationships or family that you've been part of where everything kind of gets brushed under the carpet. I'm, I'm not a counselor, professional counselor. I'm not, but... I, but wouldn't suggest that's a good way to go, right? Well, you just kind of, you have some, you, you say things you shouldn't have said. You have said things to you that really hurt, but you just don't like conflict, which is, it seems like a growing number of people. They're fine on social media with it or emails, but not in person. They don't like conflict. They don't know how to deal with conflict. It's, it, they just kind of want, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. Seriously, we're good. And they don't ever just like talk about it. Well, yeah, we're good, like, I love you, but man, what you said, that hurts. Or what I said, totally wrong and rude. It was out of anger, and it reflected something. And the thing is, the wound doesn't just go away. 
It's not like, oh, yeah, 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 I know you didn't mean that. No, no, no. In that moment, it hurt, and it makes you wonder, do they really think that about me? So you can just imagine a marriage that could be unhealthy because those things are just, there's never a time of forgiveness. There's not like a talking with one another. There's not a lot of sorry. Even kind of a sense of repentance. Like, you know what? I, I don't even, I don't know. I responded that way. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have responded that way. So it would just seem crazy to me that we would go through what we went through as a people group, whether that be as a church, as a nation. It's not, not, again, it's not just related to the church. It's related to the whole country and really the whole world. It'd be crazy that we would have gone through what we, go, what we went through and then we just don't even talk about it. We just, yeah, rough year. Hey, 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 how you doing, man? No, it's been a rough year. Like we had a country that was divided over race. We had a country that was divided over an election. We had a country that was divided over COVID. Like It's like the unholy trinity of race, election, and COVID. I mean, it wasn't even just one of those things. Like One of those would have been bad enough. If it was just racial division and all of that would have been tough. Christians would have disagreed about how we talk about it or can we talk about it, what lives do and don't matter. Like We could have, we could have debated all those things, but you're, it's already flaming with that, and then you go through election process. One of the most divisive seasons I've ever seen politically. And then you just pour this global pandemic, or whatever you want to define it as, I don't care. Right? I, I don't want to get into the, the sides thing. I just want to like, be able to look and see the open wound in our culture and our world and man it sure would seem to me that christians could talk about that you would just hope but it's been vitriolic it, ha- it hasn't been the kind of stuff that we can talk about so 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 that that's what just made me pause say, okay what is that is it because we really are completely divided like there really isn't a unity like we are brothers and sisters and that sounds totally great on t-shirts but i just can't live that way if you don't agree with me on this or that like is that where we're at and if so it'd just be good to know like okay that's where we're at like that's that's an issue of our own pride or rebellion or or whatever you call it where are we at on that as a people but we got to be healthy Maybe it's, maybe it's what I talked about earlier. We, we just, honestly, I just hate conflict. I don't want to fight. Let's just, hey, don't mention this at Thanksgiving kind of thing. Except it's not just once a year. It's like every, don't mention this at the Lord's Supper. Like, don't mention this. Like, don't mention that. Don't, hey, don't bring up. So now, now we can't even talk about literally what's on our faces. Not just in front of our face. We can't even talk about it because it gets so heated. And you got not just in the family of God, but in regular families where people are split on this and grown parents aren't talking to their grown children. Or grandchildren aren't allowed to see their grandparents. No examples of that. You kidding me? You can't see grandma and grandpa? That's crazy. Over what? So I just, don't want to, I just didn't want to go past it and not talk about it. And I can only imagine with a group this size that there's different views on all those issues. And actually, I think that could be healthy because I think that's kind of what we got to figure out. 
Like, how can we be the church and disagree on some of these things? And how do we even think about them? Like, maybe that's the issue. Maybe some of the things that we're dealing with is we haven't been able, we haven't been taught, we haven't taken time to think about how we think biblically about everything. When I was at Biola University, which is this school in Southern California where I taught for nine years, they've got a, maybe 4,500 undergrad students, and they've got maybe 1,500 graduate-level students, and a big portion of that's a good-sized seminary. And I taught at the seminary and the undergrads. So it was about 6,000 student university. And again, Biola stands for Bible Institute of Los Angeles, which literally copied itself from Moody. So basically, some wealthy oil guys went to Chicago back in around 1906 or something like that and said, could we steal some of your professors and dean? No? Well, we'll pay you. Okay, good deal. And they imported, exported out of Chicago from Moody Bible Institute, uh, specifically a guy named R.A. Torrey, who's the editor of a series of books called The Fundamentals, when some of the kind of liberal agenda came, especially across Europe and hit the U.S. It was on Biola's university's campus. They published in 1919 when The Fundamentals of the Faith was published. Hence, you hear somebody called a fundamentalist. Now it's more of a pejorative or the way they engage with culture kind of sense, but it goes back to these two-volume set of books called the fundamentals, where all these kind of liberal things were coming, like, oh, ver- deny the virgin birth, deny the trinity, deny the deity of Christ. And R.A. Torrey, who had been kidnapped from Moody and brought to L.A., all of a sudden was the editor of this series, says, we need to gather a whole bunch of people and say, let's write down what are the fundamentals of the faith. Well, when I was at Biola, one of the things I loved about that school is their little motto would be, think biblically about everything. And they wanted to help this young group of Christians, and ultimately the next generation of thought leaders and teachers and pastors and whatever field they went into, businessmen and women, whatever, they wanted them to think biblically about everything. So they would have these classes where you would wrestle with ideas and you would say, how do we think biblically about that? Because I feel like that was hard. And That's not something we're necessarily always doing. And you're not even given a lot of venues to think about that. Like, how do I think biblically about race? How do I think biblically about politics? How do I think biblically about masks and COVID? Just as I'm hoping we're asking, how do I think biblically about marriage and child rearing? How do I think biblically about educating my kids? How do I think biblically about my money and my time? How do I think biblically about my body? Like in all of those areas, I can only imagine disciples of Jesus are like, yeah, I want to think biblically about those things. And we would have these classes where we would kind of gather around and you'd get different perspectives and you'd wrestle with those things. And the ultimate goal, even if there was a level of disagreement, which there always was, it was never like, hey, we all agree, kumbaya. We don't agree. Like, we disagree about this. Like, you've got that, I've got this. I define these things differently than you do. Great. But we are bound as siblings in Christ. And that means something. And we want to make sure that we're, in the, we're on the field. I mean, if you think of the Bible and, and what is true and right as a field, and let's say the Bible gives an, an outer fence, right? We want everybody to be on the field. 
So, I mean, my, my, clo- my closest friend still out in California teaching is a diehard Presbyterian, and I'm, I'm a Baptist, ultimately. I mean, we're, I'm at a free church, but we're Baptistic. I didn't baptize my babies. Every time my kids would swim in his pool, he'd be like, hey, you want me to baptize them real quick? Like, good luck with the big one. He's not going under. The little ones, you get them, but the big one's not going under. But I mean, I, but we, we would disagree about this, but we are totally both on the field. We are both on the field. John Calvin was a baptizing babies. Charles Spurgeon wasn't. Anybody going to pit those two against one another? I hope not. John MacArthur wouldn't baptize babies, but I'll tell you what, his good friend R.C. Sproul sure would. You want to pit those two against one another? Now, how can that be the case when they literally couldn't even be in the same church because you got to either baptize babies or you just dedicate them and dry baptisms, my friends call it. You got to choose between the two. How can they both be on the field? Well, they can, but they couldn't even be in the same church because they'd have to run the church differently. The, my, my, my Presbyterian friend would have a presbytery that would select its pastor, whereas as a congregationalist, even as we're doing a search right now for a youth pastor, ultimately it won't be me or even ultimately our elder board. It'll be the congregation that we believe is the Spirit's empowered to help vote on that next youth pastor that comes in here because we're congregationalists, not Presbyterians. Now they're all on the same field, right? Like they've got to all be on the same field. I think so. What about even the class we did recently in Revelation, right? Where you've literally got brothers and sisters that totally disagree. Some are convinced, like they're watching online TV right now, the construction of some third temple in Jerusalem. And others don't think there's any more significance to Israel than there is to Denmark in their eschatology end of the world. Now that is literally, both of them are on the same field. They might not want to study theology at the same seminary, but they're all brothers and sisters. So how do we go through what we just did and not talk about it? How do we go through what we just did and not learn from it? Right? Really, that, that's what I feel. I want to I learn from it. And, and even if I were to be revealing, I think where a lot of us are, I, I, a lot of people are hurting. Like the suicide rate has gone up four times what it was before COVID. Anxiety and depression is skyrocketing in our nation. And it is affecting people totally in our church. It is affecting our young people like crazy. There are hurting people. Loneliness, separation, all of this is skyrocketed. And so is anger. Like anger is skyrocketed. People are angry. And enemies are no longer just like, well, the devil or some Taliban group. Now enemies can be the guy across the road from you. And the same vitriol that you would speak about Hitler, you will speak about somebody who has a different position than you on this or that. Now, when did we start speaking that way? And it's all sound bites. It's all little sound bites. I mean, I think it was, I don't know if it was Brian Ott that said this or I heard it else recently, but I think it was Brian that mentioned in his class the last few weeks, was, was it, and if I'm wrong, don't, you go ahead and correct me, Brian, but if I'm wrong, I'm going to blame you. Um, 
Was it when Lincoln, whoever he was debating, it was like a three-hour debate, Lincoln got like one hour to present his case, his candidate got like an hour and a half, and then he got like a 30-minute response? That's three hours of making a case for something. That, those days are gone. You know what you get now? How, how, many, how many letters in a Twitter feed? Right? I mean, you, you get like three sentences. Who can explain anything in three sentences? Who, who can make a case in three sentences? You know what you can do, though? Name-calling. That's what you can do. You can throw mud. You can label. Oh, that's all you got to do. Oh, he, oh he, that church is woke. What does that mean? They're over-caffeinated? You call somebody woke, right? You, you literally, have you bet them? To know that they're woke? Have you sat down and literally had a meal two, three hours where you talk through a biblical theology of race and race relations to know that they're woke? Are you going to slander a brother or sister in Christ and you've never even spoken to them? You've never heard their opinion. What makes you think you can do? Oh, that's right, because everyone does that. What about the church? How does the church respond to that? So I gave that long preface this morning because I wanted to spend a few minutes reflecting collectively on what happened to us in 2020. I just wanted to give space for some debriefing. And I want to, I in the weeks to come, here's the things I'm going to cover, and you, maybe you saw the bulletin insert at some point. Next week, I'll talk about what did 2020 teach us about the world. I think we learned some things about the world. Like when I say world, I mean outside the church. Like, there's a lot going on. It might just be good to pause and look at that. The week after that, I'll say, what did 2020 teach us about the church? There's a whole lot going on in the church. I'll even talk about, since the pandemic started, new books that have been written that are attacking in-house and the massive division that is happening in the church. To be honest with you, I do believe there is going to be a divorce in the evangelical church, and it will not be less than 10 years. So it won't be more than 10 years. There is about to be a divorce in the church. Like you're seeing it. I remember when my, my kids, this is when we first moved here early on, and my boys were in, they, there was another set of boys that was exactly their same age, and they, they were kind of buddies, and they all, they all played basketball at recess, and just what little boys do in elementary school. And I remember my oldest son was sitting in the car with me, and I was about to drop him off to an Art Sadler basketball practice one evening, and he just started bawling. I had no idea why. And I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, well, my friend told me that his mom and dad are going to get a divorce. And even just saying those words, he started bawling again. And he was thinking about, like, me and his mom, and he can't imagine what that would be like, and he's all upset. And he's not, it's not that he was even worried about me and his mom. He said, this is what he said. My friend was telling us this at lunch, and he was crying a bit, and he was saying, this, this is like fifth grade, fifth grade kid telling my fifth grade son this. He was all upset, and he was describing all the fightings going on, and he kind of felt like something was off because mom and dad are always fighting. 
they aren't talking anymore. They yell only. Like they won't even be in the same room anymore. And me and my siblings, we saw it coming, and then finally they sat us down. My son was telling me what his friend told him, and they said, Mom and Dad are going to get a divorce. And my son's friend said, and it just felt like I was being ripped apart. That's pretty wise words for a fifth grade boy. I want to tell you that that is right now what the church is tasting. They are arguing. The, the children of God see mom and dad, they're always yelling at each other. They no longer talk. There's always fighting. There's always hard words. It's always a rip and a cut. It's never uplifting. There's no more. I remember, I remember especially my middle child, he used to love when I would grab his mom and smooch her in the kisses. And you know what I think it was? He saw, it made him feel like he was safe when mom and dad loved each other, even though at times we would disagree. He felt safe. Because for whatever reason, the two of us connected was very connected to his very being. Well, the church is totally, right now, like a mom and a dad who won't sleep in the same room anymore. There's no uplifting talk. It's all rip. It's all accusatory. Well, she's this. Well, he's that. And they're heading toward divorce. And they haven't said it yet. Like, they haven't said, hey, kids, I need to tell you we're getting a divorce. Well, I'm telling you, it's coming. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm no prophet, so you can't stone me. I could totally be wrong. And I'd love to be wrong. But I worry that we actually model more MSNBC and Fox News than we model the Church of Christ. And that cannot be. And I think of James speaking in chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. But how, how, do you, how do you beat that? When one is being discipled by one side and the other is being discipled by the other side and discipleship of Jesus has just been totally eclipsed. So it's coming. I may be wrong, but it's coming. And soon even the free church will divorce amongst itself and denominations will slander the other as liberal and progressive or conservative and fundamentalist. And we are right around the corner of that. There's even been a helpful kind of essay that was published recently that I'll summarize for you in two weeks, so the third week we get together, that I think shows some of the map of where Christians are in this. And it's fascinating as just a lens to see the division between Christians. So I just didn't feel right as one of your pastors to not have us talk about that. In fact, consider this kind of like a family meeting. I know when we do this in our house, okay, who did something wrong? Like one of the kids will say that. Well, nobody did anything wrong. That's not what we're calling this. We're not trying to call anybody out. No. We're, told, we're realizing we disagree on some of these things. My wife and I disagree on some of these things. But I couldn't be more on her team. And she on mine. The elders disagree about these things. The staff Disagree. In fact, the staff is almost 50-50 on, call it, two sides, on should you be vaccinated or not, should you wear a mask or not. We couldn't be more, which is in some ways beautiful, because we're totally split. It's not one side at all. 
And there has to be, in every staff meeting, total respect for one another because we know that there's people on both sides and we want to do what we think. We have to think biblically about everything. Otherwise, our own perspective and preference will dominate. Well, if we have to do that at the staff level and we have to do it at the elder level, I think we probably should do that at the church level. We need to think about this. And we need to be able to talk about it. So let me ask, let me just open it up for discussion, right? You, you, you don't have to be an orator to have a thought or reflection. But I, but I, I set up kind of a, a big preface and a trajectory. I want you to share just your thoughts or reflection. What happened to us in 2020? Right, that's the question I want to throw out there. Uh, with the preface that I set, and I want to I hear from some of you, what, what has happened to us in 2020? Talk to us. Yeah. And that's hard. That's hard to do, right? I mean, and we're not at a place of maturity. I like that. But my read is, as a church, and I, so I, it's, it's one thing to talk about anybody outside our walls, and I, but, but just regarding God's people, you know, broadly speaking, not just our church, but broadly speaking about the church, we, we haven't reflected that at all. We have not. And it's hard to because it's, it's heated and it's significant. And people have deep convictions, very deep, about whether our kids should wear a mask in school or not. Whether our kids in any way should be exposed to that or not. Whether the virus is real or not. Th those are not light things. Those are huge convictions that people have. And it's just pretty hard to hold that loose enough to even listen to somebody else. To, 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 to respect an opinion when you think, well, that's not just wrong. That's like diametrically opposed to what healthy is on whatever side. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a helpful thought. I appreciate that. Others, what happened to us in 2020? Other comments or reflections that you'd want to share? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you couldn't hear that in the back, the, the comment was that God is refining our church, the church. And there's truth in that. You know, one of the others will talk about like a purging that can happen. Um, especially when we went to the point of going... You know, was it 13 weeks in our church? And actually, most churches did something quite similar where almost across, across the state line area, they went all... We didn't know what COVID was. There wasn't... There were just a lot of questions. Churches went completely online. Then back in, you know, May, June, they started again meeting physically. But even then, there was a lot of concern. So you had people who were distant from church for a long time. And a lot of those have not come back. We're talking about 25% average across churches. 25%. That, that's, a, that's a lot. That have no contact, no connection. I mean, they've been called, they've been reached out to by the church staff or elders. They've been called and reached out to by friends. Zippo, no connection. Like, but on top of that, the, the, the statement that was made is we need to ask ourselves, what was the Lord teaching us in 2020? Like, what have, what have we learned about ourselves? Let alone just about the rest of the world and the church around us. Other reflections? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, the comment was that we've, we've stopped listening. And one of the funnels of limitations of listening is the use of social media, which ends up siphoning out those that we don't agree with and over inundating us with people who exactly what we would hold to. I mean, technology is a whole interesting topic in and of itself, right? It is. And, and I'm not one of those that is like kind of anti-technology, even though the staff entirely teases me for my inability to do anything other than Microsoft Word. So I get that. I'm not a techie. My kids go, techie? It's just I turn the TV on, right? So I'm all for technology because I appreciate penicillin, right? Cars are a nice advantage when going to see my in-laws in Minnesota versus horseback. Like, I'm all for it. But to be honest with you, the tool too quickly becomes, or the servant becomes the master if you're not careful. So it's never about having to become Amish and we no longer like use technology. The trick is, how do we let it be a servant and not a master? And I, I think we as a culture have completely blown that. Like, it has mastered us. Point in being, in one sense, a cell phone is awesome. In another sense, it is an absolute plague. And the research is saying that literally something like the cell phone is actually stifling your ability to understand or make an argument. Because you cannot process at a more sustained level because everything is so short and quick and abbreviated. Well, now imagine that going on, not just for what is it, how many years has it been? 10, 15 years or whatever? I don't know. My kids are like, you guys didn't have a cell phone? No, we didn't, and we survived. But imagine 50 years of cell phones, and everybody's this. That's what they're doing. Just imagine the impact if it hasn't already been felt in some way. And then on top of that, your cell phone isn't just the one or two news channels that some of us grew up with. It's whatever you subscribe to and want to have. Just your stuff. You pick it. It's just for you. All the stuff. So then reality is totally misguided. And of course, just so you know, news needs to make money, so they need it to be big and exciting. I'll never forget when we were in California, my mom would call all the time, because she's always like, earthquakes, why are you moving there? There's earthquakes. And we feel some of those, but she's like, and there's mudslides. I'm like, mudslides, what? So she called me once on the phone, like, there's a massive mudslide. Are you guys okay? I'm like, it's like sun, it's 75 degrees. There's no rain. And I'm looking outside. I, I don't even see mud. It's so dry. And she's like, it's on the news. And I, I flipped to the news. And literally somewhere north of L.A., two houses were impacted. In how many millions of people live in Southern California? Like, I was two hours away from this mudslide. And it affected two houses. But guess what the camera did? The camera only looked at these two houses. It didn't show that there were 350 houses on the hill and only two were impacted. The, the, the guys right there, right now, there's a mudslide going on, right? As you can see, and my mom in Rockford, Illinois, is freaking out, thinking, my grandchildren, like, forget me. <laughs> How many grandchildren have been drowned in the mud? I'm like, if I, I don't even know if I could find that mudslide if I was living in the neighborhood. But notice, it's all perspective, isn't it? If you just put the camera right there on those two houses, 
it looks like something coming out of Jurassic Park or something, right? Like mud flowing, the movie 2012, like the whole world is collapsing. But if you just kind of pan up over a flight, what do you see? Disneyland, 75 degrees, perfect sun, the beaches are full of people. I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops, which is normal attire every day. There was no mudslide. I didn't even see, I think we had rain for three weeks. That's all perspective. So if your perspective is only looking at that, then you think California is loaded. I never end up being, I never saw a mudslide once in nine years there. But I got called about it from a woman in Rockford, my birth mother, three times, warning me about mudslides. Because in her perspective, that's what the camera was showing. Well, what have the cameras been showing us about the race stuff? What have the cameras been showing us about politics? What are the cameras been showing us about COVID? Oh, oh, and which cameras are you looking at? I mean, is this worth asking those questions? So at what point does technology serve us? And at what point does it master us? That's just, that's just hard to say. I, I do worry about, I mean, I completely pulled out of social media, but I still have a cell phone. But I pulled out of social media, part of that reason. Here, here's part of the thing I thought. Here, here was the irony I felt in my life. I knew more that was going on in a country in which I'd never been within 30 seconds of it happening than my neighbor's life who lived next door. It's probably the first time ever in the history of the world in recent years that that's even possible. So literally, the things you're talking about are the things that are not in touch, impacting you whatsoever, that are completely across the globe or across the country because they want to elevate viewership and make money on your watching. So they will talk about a crisis here and it will be, well, did you hear about that school in such such city that's making kids do that? Woo! Well, yeah, there's like how many thousands of schools? There's probably going to be a few stupid ones. It's coming here soon, is it? Is it really? Maybe. And it might be. But when has it mastered us? So again, all of that is f- helping us just be perceptive about our own context, right? Like thinking through, what am I listening to, right or wrong? How, 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 is, how has it had an impact on me? What if all of us took, uh, I, I don't practice Lent, but what if we did? And we did a no cable news TV for 30 days. How many of us would be shaking after about three days? It's almost as bad as no coffee, right? Imagine, or no Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 30 days. The only people you can talk to are people that you physically see. And the only things you can talk about are things that you can experience physically yourself. And if that means that you have to go over and talk to your neighbor because you're a little lonely, because your 30 minutes a day on Facebook isn't enough for you, then you've got to go talk to your neighbor. By the way, the average human right now is using social media two hours a day. Did you hear that? Statistically, social media, two hours a day. That's insane. That is totally insane. That is way too much. You're like this. You're just doing this with your social, your phone. Oh, did you see? Oh, they get to go on a nice vacation. Look at, and all, I've teased before. Nobody puts their 
Husband and wife just had a fight on Facebook. Here, here's my husband. We're totally arguing right now. Happy Thursday. Blessed. Like nobody does that. It's all the whitewashed. It's totally whitewashed, isn't it? It's totally whitewashed. Like, well, look at their new kitchen. Huh? Huh? Well, they have a good marriage. It took 17 shots to get the double chin to go away, but that's a nice picture. I think about that. Even the picture we choose is, oh, that's a double chin. Delete. I'm only showing the beautiful me. Fiction. It's fiction. But it forms us. Am I, do I, am I as beautiful? Is I, are they that bad? It, is, it forms us. Other reflections? Anybody else want to share? Yeah. Yeah, the comment was that the church missed an opportunity. And I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Here's what we did, guys. We looked exactly like our non-Christian neighbors. Like, that's exactly what we did. Like, we look no different. Now, you either have a Black Lives Matter sign in your yard or you put a blue striped flag in your yard, right? You feel like you've got to pick between the two. You either are unmask our children or you're something about pro-vaccine or whatever. We, we, we just completely masked probably our disciplers, which is our social media feeds and our cable news TV. Those are really our disciplers, to be fair. Those are the pastors and the shepherds of our culture, and they have pastored and shepherded us. Because we haven't been able to come and completely disagree about things, completely be against something about masks, or be, be very hesitant about a vaccine, and actually talk about that in a healthy way. We haven't modeled that. What we've modeled is the same vitriol that you're going to see between an MSNBC and a Fox News. The same kind of slanted, name-calling, side-picking is exactly what we've done. Rather than say, my brother doesn't and can't physically wear a mask, I want to take that serious. Or my sister is very concerned about the health of her family and our community because of COVID, I want to take that seriously. Because I love her, I trust her. Or I love him and I trust him. Even if, even if I think that how they would define things or what they're perceiving, it, I might define differently. And we didn't model that. Let alone just the centrality of the church. What we actually saw happening, to be honest with you, and we'll talk about this in the third week, but we, we actually saw people si selecting churches now based upon their political preferences. Like That's kind of what happened. So you thought your church was going liberal based upon some of these things. You leave. And you know, oh, they're liberal. Holy cow, are they liberal. Like, they're liberal. How long have you been there? 20 years. Did, did they look liberal before? Oh, no, they used to preach the Bible, but now they're requiring us to wear masks. They're liberal. So churches are becoming just like their social media feeds. That's what they're becoming. You're going to have uh, Republican churches, moderate churches, Democratic churches. That's what's happening. And now we just are only aligning ourselves with the people with whom we already agree. There is no, hey, brother, did, did you think about that? Or sister, help me process this. There's none of that. We just already agree. The doctrinal statement is less what the denomination holds or what Scripture would say. You know what the doctrinal statement is? Political and social decisions. That's our doctrinal statement. We've got time for one more. One other reflection someone would like to share. Yes. 
Yeah, though the comment was, if you couldn't hear it, that it's just hard to know if we can, who we can trust, number one. Like, who's a trustworthy resource? And her, her comment was, even in regard to our government, she gave kind of her own testimony is, she was younger, it was easier, or more, it was easier to trust the government, but now she has a growing hesitancy, and you, you wouldn't be alone in that. Um, but there's a whole lot of factors about that that, that have led to that. Uh, there, 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 a, there was a book written a few years ago called The Death of Expertise. And one thing that's changed, changed a, a lot of things would be something like the Internet. So now you can research in some capacity if you're, you know, and find something that you're more comfortable believing in, which is in many ways, not the Internet per se, but that mentality has undercut experts in any field, doctors, medical professionals, education scientists. Those things have lost a whole lot of believability or credibility in the last 20, 30 years. And it's, it's, become, a, it's become a huge problem. It has. So there, there's a whole issue there. The other thing is a growing sense of self-confidence. Like the death of expertise, therefore, requires kind of a, kind of a certain self-security in our own ability to know things, which is a little crazy. Uh, I mean it in the good sense. You, we, we, had ma- we had three major issues happening, and you should see the fortitude by which people would speak about those, Right? Immigration is pretty complex. Racial issues are super complex. I don't even know an epidemiologist that goes to this church. Seriously, political science is is like you can get a doctorate in that. All those issues are going on all the time. The, the, The role of police, government, infrastructure. Like these are super complex I'm guessing there's not a library at home that all of us have. Like, oh, well, I, you know what? I've actually been thinking about epidemiology. I just finished reading this book here. It's translated from French. Let me tell you. No, no one's reading those. Where'd they learn about epidemiology? How about political science? Where did they learn of their political theory? And political, did, are they, did they major in political science? These are complex issues. All that complexity is completely gone. And it's 20-second soundbite. That's all you get. Remember that example that I stole from Brian Ott? It's not a three-hour discussion over how to think about masks and vaccines. You got 20 seconds from the feed you already liked. There was no... There was, there, there, we, don't, we don't know how much we don't know. I, I remember fe- saying that to my PhD supervisor. Right, I was working in New Testament... And even in a PA, the, 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 the higher you go in school, the more narrow it gets. Like, it gets pretty silly. Like, I knew one guy doing his PhD in 13 words in the New Testament. So his degree says PhD in New Testament. He technically studied 13 words in Matthew chapter 27. I wouldn't ask him about even Matthew 26, to be honest with you. Like, don't go to him. He doesn't know anything about Matthew 26. Just if you got a question in those 13 words, there's your man. So, like, the more complex it gets, the more narrow. Because I remember I was studying, my, and I, was, I said to my supervisor how, man, I mean, this field is so complex. I was, I was having trouble just wrapping my mind around the Gospel of John, and yet I, I was doing just one little aspect of that. And he's like, oh, yeah, that, actually, the more you know, the more you realize how you don't know much at all. 
Here's the problem. We've reversed it. Now we have a culture where they don't know squat. <laughs> Which means it's the opposite problem. The less you know, the more you think you know. So we are in a culture, and certainly in this generation, where we have uh, a lot of sophomore. You know what the, the, the Greek word sophomore means? I, I teased my son when he became a sophomore. Sophos is the Greek word for wisdom. And you know what more is from the word moron. <laughs> sophomore means a wise moron. They think they're, hence the second year, right? They've already done one year, so what are we? got parents of a sophomore over there. They think they know something because they're a sophomore. They think they're wise, but what are they really? They're morons. They're sophomoric. Junior means they're almost there, and by the time they're a senior, now they're putting it all together. We don't have a whole ton of seniors and juniors. Our culture is filled with sophomores. Well, they know a little bit. But they speak about a lot of things that they don't know. And this is a crisis that is in our culture for, for sure. But brothers and sisters, it's in our church. So that, that isn't for name calling or teasing. That, that's just to kind of, let's get the doctor's report. Let's see where it's at. And let's figure out how we need to respond. Well, I appreciate you sharing. I'm hoping you're willing to do this because what I want to do for the, for the next seven weeks is I'll, we'll raise some topics. I'll bring every single week some categories to help us think biblically about it, but it's not, it's not, I'm not wanting you to think politically about it. I'm not wanting you to think through social media. I just want to bring kind of unadulterated, here's some categories from Scripture to help us think about these things, and then we discuss them together because I feel like, to be honest with you, we need a season of lament, of reflection, of mourning, of self-reflection, we need to have some of those conversations like I'm sorry, like a healthy marriage would have. We need to have some of those times where we say I was wrong or I shouldn't have said what I said. Or we need to be honest sometimes to say to somebody, you hurt me. And honestly, it still hurts. I want to brush it under the rug, but it hurts. And we need to do that as a church. And the world might not do that. They're just going to spread far, far, further and further apart. But man, in the church, maybe listen to with a chance that we may still have can actually show how we are aliens and strangers in this world. We are an embassy of the kingdom of God, and God will build His church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And we can reflect that not just church in generic terms, but in our own. Father, thanks for this group and this Sweet people, and even the different comments from different, different ages and perspectives in this room, help us in the next few weeks as we engage in this Growth Hour class to reflect on what happened in 2020. Guide us in the process. Help us to think biblically about everything. Thank you for your word, which has revealed to us these truths. Thank you for your people, which bring their perspectives and insights and reflections, and even just your common grace expertise to these things. Be with us now as we fellowship in between this growth hour and second service. May we love one another and show the nature of the church together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.